0: So far 2018 has been a pretty amazing year for new shows in London and today's guest is currently starring in one of them, The Grinning Man at Trafalgar Studios. It's Mark Anderson. Hello Mark. Hello. How are you? I'm good
1: thanks. Good. How's the show going? Yeah it's going really well. Um, We opened in December and I'm really really having a great time actually and everyone that comes to see it um, you know seems to be having a really nice time too. So that's good and I I think it's really good and it's really different. And I think it's exactly what the West End needs at the moment.
0: Uh-huh. So for those people who haven't seen it yet, what's the basic premise? What's the story? Because it's loosely based on, you've said, on Hugo's novel, which is yeah, called... Yeah, The Man Who Laughs. The Man Who Laughs.
1: And I would say it's quite loosely based. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But in a nutshell, the main uh, thread of it is that there's a, a young lad who, as a... Um, has his mouth slit Uh um, and the the play is about the mystery of who did that to him Mm -hmm. and it's about him coming back to London Mm -hmm. or London as we call it in the show
0: Um,
1: and coming back to London to sort of find the man who did it to him Uh and also to avenge his father's death
0: Okay. Um, For those people who don't know, it did start its life uh, in Bristol. It did. um, At the Old Vic in Bristol. It did a short run there. It must have been a year and a half ago or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, And then it's obviously transferred into London for this run in the West End. Um, How different is this version of the show to the one that was in Bristol? Did you get to
1: recreate much yeah well apparently it's very different Mm -hmm. to what they did in Bristol Um, even as far as the writing goes they changed a lot of it Um, one of the main things um, as a cast member is that in Bristol there were only nine in the company in the cast and um, now there's 16 of us oh right okay yeah so everyone in Bristol played everything Uh they would run into the wing quick change and come back on to something else and there's still a lot of that I would Mm -hmm. say in our version um but they really did it uh, like that in Bristol. Um, it's i I from what I've heard because I never saw it in Bristol, they've condensed it a lot and sort of really punched out that that main storyline mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I guess if you're not running into the wings and changing into another character, you get to hold on to your character more firmly, so yes, so you can exactly. more fully realise that performance, mm. um, which must be quite nice. So, um, remind me what your character's name was, because I've forgotten now. He's called Deary Moi. I saw it last night and I've forgotten. That's really Lord embarrassing. David Lord David Derry-moi. um Moi. And, I mean, it's a great character to play. It's kind of one of those... If I was still performing, it's one of those characters that I would have absolutely been seething with jealousy because you were playing it and I wasn't. Mm. It's a fantastic... Mm. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> uh, it's a fantastic role. Um, can you kind of sum him up?
1: Yeah. Um, he's really... He's really innocent, I want to say, but mm. he's he has a, a dark side, and I think that's true with all of the royal family. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a prince. Um, and they are all so bored um and they're just looking for that next thing that's going to make them Mm -hmm. um happy Mm. um were you aware because it seemed to me when
0: I was watching it last night that there's obviously so many uh political statements in certainly as far as the aristocracy in mm -hmm. your show is concerned and those characters and how they kind of look down on the The less Fortunate. Um, There's so many uh, of those political references and it feels like the writers and you as the company are making statements as well. That must have been something that came up quite a lot in rehearsals.
1: Yeah, it did, especially with, you know, the climate we're in. Uh You can't avoid it Mm. at the moment. Um, It really is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Mm. and um, Even something that isn't, you know, it's literally straight from the novel, Mm. say is still relevant yeah. and people are thinking that mm. oh they've made that about today uh-huh. yeah but it's actually something but that it's, yeah, yeah it's really not
0: yeah that, that happens a lot doesn't it yeah that happens a lot and I guess with great writers like Victor Hugo who, mm-hmm. who wrote the original novel that's what makes them great writers is because they're picking up on points that are timeless yeah and that kind of travel through generations and I was really encouraged last night because as I said at the beginning of the uh, this episode uh, I feel like there is a real new wave of exciting theatre happening at the moment. For for a long time, it felt like it was the same old kind of shows and um, most of them based on existing movies or existing catalogues of songs. Um, But it feels like we're in a new wave of things, Mm. exciting things happening. The Grinning Man, everyone's talking about Jamie, The Ferryman, uh, Girl from the North Country. It feels like really exciting work is happening. And I'm so happy to be in London to, to see it all. Um,
1: and last night, the theatre was full. Yeah. Uh, no, I've been saying this for the past couple of months, actually. Everywhere you look now in London is something new, and it's from, and you know, it's from, um, it's not from a film, which mm-hmm. is w- what we've come accustomed to. And mm. also, what we've come accustomed to is <clears throat> there are, you know, there's somebody usually famous in it. Uh-huh. I'm going to say stunt casting. Yeah, um, and, But if you look around the West End, there isn't any. Mm. Hamilton, is none, yeah. Jamie, none, you know, and yeah. it's all just talented people getting the work yeah. because they're talented and they've trained, you know, they're skilled. Which
0: proves the point, doesn't it? That, totally that, does, That it yeah. can survive without someone yeah. from Hollyoaks or someone from EastEnders. And like you say, it?
1: they're all unknown
0: titles as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Do you think, though, I mean, I don't want to talk about the recession in a very general way, but do you think that... You know, we, we have just essentially come out of a recession, I guess, you know, in the last mm-hmm. kind of um, two years. Do you think that the the, the time in, in London where it was just jukebox musicals, uh, musicals that were based on films like, you know, Shrek and uh, plays that were based on films that we knew, do you think that was a reaction to producers not wanting to take risks because it was a, a difficult time? You know, so they just thought, let's just put something on, safe bet. And we know it's going to make money.
1: I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think it's probably had a tiny damaging effect um, on our industry um, because now people are too scared to take risks mm. because mm-hmm. they've felt the wealth from mm-hmm. putting on the titles that we all know. Mm. Yeah.
0: And I, I feel there was a bit of a, not, not to get too bleak about it, but I feel there was a bit of a, um, it was quite, Uh, uh, miserable in in a sense because I I feel like people in the business in the industry, acting industry were very aware of what was going on and at times it was quite uninspiring wasn't it, to to be a part of um, knowing that producers weren't taking risks and knowing that 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 lead role was going to go to a TV actress instead of a theatre actor, things like that. It was quite a bleak few years I think
1: Yeah it was, Um, but you know what, I really liked some of them and I thought the, the skill that went into some of them was equally as impressive as as new writing. Um, I, I think one of the best ones is Jersey Boys. I really mm-hmm. like Jersey Boys. Um, but then it was more biographical. It wasn't trying to thread a storyline through some songs yeah. that really exist. Yeah, because it can
0: be done well. It can really Definitely, be done yeah. well, yeah. But uh, I never saw Jersey Boys, but, uh, which is really bad because it was on for 10 years. I, sh- <laughs> yeah. I should be ashamed of myself. But um, everyone said the same thing, which was that was a real, real effort to, to 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 make this collection of songs into something really, really fantastic. I think
1: that's right. But um, producers saw that um, and then made some sort of, you know, half-assed attempt at somebody else's back catalogue. Yeah. And they didn't quite work, but mm. people thought, oh, I know their songs, I'm going to go see it. Uh-huh, yeah.
0: Well, you're appealing to, not theatre goers, but you're appealing to fans of ABBA or yeah. fans of... Queen and or,
1: the work became secondary.
0: Uh huh. The stories and the characters yeah. became secondary to let's get this song into the show. Definitely. Uh huh. But it is that I do feel like we're on this massive turning point, and it's so exciting. You know, as days go on uh, in 2018, new work is getting announced every day, and it's so exciting. I'm. I feel like we're in a really, really exciting place, and you know, maybe there's some synergy with what's happening politically. But I feel like you have to go back to. Kind of go forward sometimes you have to kind of um reassess where you are and and and, and uh, gather yourself and and that's a moment that we've just been through and now we're going actually okay uh let's move forward and let's get on with some new work some really exciting work like today for example. Um, Flowers for Mrs. Harris was announced um, that's going to go to Chichester, uh, Mm -hmm. which I'm really excited about because it's by probably one of my favourite British composers at the moment, Richard Taylor. And, you know, it's so
1: exciting to see his work being celebrated. It just feels like a good time. Yeah, it is. And it's it's good that these big producers are taking the risks because Mm. we need them to set example.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And The Grinning Man is definitely part of that, yeah. that new wave. Now, you're quite um, passionate about new writing. I know that you uh, you get involved in it when you can as an actor and also uh, you write yourself as well. I do, yeah.
1: I'm trying. Um, it, it's so, it's not a new thing for me, but I, I would consider myself like, because I've never had anything put on, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've written... Uh, for the past two years, I've written the opening number for West End Bears mm-hmm. with my friend Luke de Soma, um, which I've absolutely loved. And that was sort of being in the right place at the right time. Um, so, for those people who don't know, what is West End Bears? Oh, West End Bears is an annual charity event, um, uh-huh. all for Theatre Mad, which is the Make a Difference Trust. Um, and basically, um, theatre industry people strip. From the West End and, beyond and get their clothes off for money. Um, it's which sounds more seedy than it actually is, and it's actually a big production and lots of choreographers get involved and everyone gives up their mm. free time. And, yeah,
0: it and, is a pretty amazing event. It um, you're right. It, it, from the outside, it could seem a bit like uh, it could seem a bit seedy, but it was. Created, I think, in uh, America, wasn't in the it? the Americas, yeah. Jerry Mitchell, who uh, obviously founded Broadway Bears, and it yeah. was his kind of uh, baby. For those people who uh, don't know, Jerry Mitchell uh, directed Kinky Boots. Uh, he also directed Joseph Frost and Scoundrels Legally and Blonde. choreographed Legally Blonde. Did he direct that as well?
1: Yeah. Did he? Wow.
0: Yeah. He's good isn't he yeah
1: he's quite good and director choreograph kinky boots
0: yeah i think he's I all right isn't he? yeah he's, he's doing well <laughs> he's doing all right for himself um but he found it on broadway did, and yeah. then it came over here and
1: then yeah i think darren carnell brought it here um, right and now it's run by david Grucock and darren lee murphy mm. and it's got bigger and bigger as well, yeah and it has. it's so
0: good yeah yeah um, I need to go... Do I need to go and see it? Probably not. I, I think I can deal with, like, the social media <laughs> do you want to fallout. See it? <laughs> Not really, no. Not really. Um, but you... So you write the opening number for yeah, that? Yeah, done that for the past few years, and we've been asked to do it again this year. Amazing. Yeah. When is it again? What time of year? It's autumn time. So if people want to go and see West End Actors with the Clothes Off, mm. autumn, West End Bears, look it up. Yeah. You'll have a lovely time. And you'll also hear some of your writing. You also did, uh... Uh, you workshopped one of your musicals as well, which I saw at the other palace, yeah. um, called Diner Story, which was... Well, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so
1: I love dinosaurs, basically. I have done since I was a kid. I think lots of little children do, actually. Um, and about... Actually, about nine years ago, I had, this, I had this idea for a song that I just wanted to write, and it was called A Rose Between Three Horns. And it was about a triceratops finding love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it already. I'm hooked. Um, and I wrote the lyrics to it in about half an hour. Um, and since then I've asked, you know, I've been to a few, um, composers cause I don't write music. I just write lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to a few composers and I eventually found one, you know, I've not like kept on it for nine years, but I keep picking it up and I just think it's such a great idea that no one's tapped into yet. Dinosaurs mm. in a musical. <laughs> <laughs> to be
0: fair, there are some reasons why they may not
1: have done that, but yeah. Um, and I found this guy called Luke DeSoma who I write the West End Bear stuff with and he was really keen, really wanted to do it. Um, Um, But there's quite an interesting
0: slant on it as well, isn't it, the story? Because you're a vegan. uh, Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we could do our own, like, 30-minute episode about that, (laughs) because I don't understand. (laughs) No, I do, I do. Um, But, um, and you've kind of, like, stranded that conversation into this idea of herbivores... Mm. versus meat eaters and it is actually it's actually quite a
1: good concept it's actually it's actually really sweet yeah do you know what the and the where that came from was like i said i wrote that song and it was about her falling in love mm. that song isn't in it anymore mm. because what i was seeing more and more in the west end and wherever is that female characters were so underwritten uh-huh. and there was one show i won't say the name but there was a girl just writing in her diary about finding love. And I thought, why in 2016, 17, is there a female protagonist just wanting to find the perfect man? Right. And I thought... Like they can't aspire for more. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to make Rose, the Triceratops in my story, about something else. Uh Uh-huh. So she sets out to um, uh, carry on the Festival of Foliage, which her mum started uh, way back. Um, and that's a time of year... Sorry. I'm talking about this so seriously. <laughs> every year in I in, in our world, it's the Festival of Foliage, and it happens for a week every single mm-hmm. year, where all the carnivores take an oath not to eat meat. And for that week alone, they all get on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really beautiful.
0: It is actually... I mean, it's it's clearly aimed towards... Uh, a family audience, yeah. um and and children, and, and it carries a message, doesn't it? You're trying to get a point across in a in a quite a, an innocent way, mm-hmm. and in a fun way, but. Obviously, it then has that kind of aftertaste for the parents who've taken the kids along about mm-hmm. you know uh, vegetarian, giving up meat, veganism, things like that. Um, I thought it was really sweet, and I saw we saw a workshop production of it, um, which was part of uh, a kind of week or a festival, wasn't it, of, of new writing yeah. at the at the other palace? Um, and where is it now? What's what's going on with it? Are you do you want to take it forward, or are you happy to yeah, kind of leave it where it is? Um,
1: so talking about the sort of female intervention um when i decided i wanted rose to be more than just someone who falls in love i really really wanted to get a female voice in the creative team Mm -hmm. so i asked uh, my friend erin carter who i knew from some performing stuff um who's also a, a phenomenal writer and she's now writing the book for us great
0: um did you have a book writer on board
1: no we didn't right yeah
0: And I imagine that that's quite a turning point, isn't it, getting
1: a book writer? Yeah, it is. And I was just, you know, fumbling some stuff together Mm. just to get us into that festival to start Mm. with. And when we got accepted, I thought, I don't want to do that. Mm. I want a female voice. I
0: feel like book writers are the unsung heroes of of musicals. Um, The
1: thing is, if a musical works, people... Um, praise the, the music or, and, the and the lyrics and the songs. Yeah. If a music doesn't work, everyone says the book the is terrible. faulty, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so true. I think, that you know, you look at someone like Arthur Lawrence who wrote the book for Gypsy and uh, West Side Story, you know, someone like that, just really, really fantastic book writing yeah. and it is the linchpin of the entire production. You've is, got yeah. to have a good book. And yeah. that's where
1: the songs come from. Yeah. Anyway,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so now where we're at with the The show is that Luke, who is uh, a Kiwi, who's uh, which is a New Zealand person, all right, not being rude. He is away and he's been there all summer. Um, So as soon as he gets back, we're going to start it up again. I think we need a sort of break, step away from it Mm. for a few months to sort of see what we've done and what we need to do. And you're
0: really good friends with uh, quite successful lyricists, Yeah, uh, Anthony Drew of (laughs) Styles and Drew fame. Never heard of him. Uh, uh, And for those people who don't know, I can't imagine why you would be listening to this if you don't know, but uh, Styles and Drew have written uh, Mary Poppins, uh, they wrote the new songs for Half a Sixpence, uh, Honk, uh, Betty Blue Eyes. Um, half, wind in the willows. Six I've foot. said half oh, sixpence. <laughs> uh, so they're quite, they're quite good. They're doing all right. Yeah, they are. Um, and you you He's. Would you say he's? I mean, he's obviously a friend, but is he a mentor in terms of the lyric writing?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I. Um, if if I'm unsure of something, I'll say had this idea, but I can't get it across. Or I'll send him a, a line of a lyric, and I'll say I want this to make sense, but I I can't. Uh, Or even uh, I wrote a whole song for the dinosaur show with Luke, and it was called um, This Place. And it started off saying, here, da-da-da-da-da, in this place. And Anthony heard it um, because I asked him for some feedback. And he said, um, I don't know if it's called here or if it's called this place. It sort of had two hooks. Right. So that I mean, always Just stuff that like kind of advice, yeah. And early on, um, when I first started, um, he would he taught me a lot about meter and mm-hmm. syllable structure and mm-hmm. rhyme. And he's he's really hot on true rhymes and mm-hmm. you know, as all of his phenomenal predecessors, Sondheim, mm-hmm. you won't hear do a false rhyme. Yeah, um, Sondheim, like
0: you won't hear do a false jamming rhyme. in. Uh, making words rhyme when yeah. they don't really, yeah.
1: Even stuff like love rhyming with of, it doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's the most common one, probably. Uh-huh. Um, and nowadays that is changing, and you know, I don't judge a, a musical for it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but there's, I, I think there's less skill to it uh, to, to lyricists now. You think
0: it's uh, to to false rhyming than there is to obviously. Right. True yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, what an amazing connection to have for, for an aspiring writer.
1: Mm. What an amazing person to be in touch with. Yeah. And they are fundamental in new writing in London. George and Anthony. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. They, they are part of the MMD, which is mm. Mercury musical developments. Mm. Every year they have, um, the Styles and Drew prize, mm. which is part of it is a song prize for best song. Um, and the other one is the mentorship scheme, which they take a whole musical, and over the course of a year, have workshops and labs, mm. and at the end of it, they present it. And the the Wicker Husband came from that um, two years ago, uh-huh. and they just had the other one, and that's going to do a presentation later this year. Yeah,
0: they are. So, they they really get their hands in, don't they, in terms yeah. of that? And it's quite nice because. I don't know their history very well, but I feel like they, that's how they started, wasn't it? It was someone taking a chance on them.
1: Yeah, well, the story goes that um, they won the Vivian Ellis Prize um, and Cameron McIntosh was on the panel and they entered just so into Mm -hmm. that. And Cameron at the end said, congratulations, Um, what are you going to do with it now? And George apparently turned to him and said, no, what are you going to do with it now? And that's how their relationship blossomed, and Cameron ended up producing Just So, and that's you know that's when they got on board with uh, Mary Poppins, and you know the rest. The rest is
0: literally history. Amazing, that is really really incredible. And of course, your association with Stars and Drew doesn't just end at uh, them kind of mentoring mm. your creative side, but uh, you've been in quite a few of their shows.
1: Yeah, I my f- first job out of school was Honk mm-hmm. at the Watermill in Newbury, and it was in, sort of like an actor-muso version with Sarah Travis did all the arrangements mm-hmm. and Stephen De- Dexter directed. Um, Sam Spencer Lane, our mutual friend, choreographed. Um, and who was, did you play? Ugly. I played Ugly. Right. Yeah. But it was phenomenal to me that the writing team, Styles and Drew, were in our rehearsal room. Were they? Were they big then? Did, <laughs> did people know who they were? Yeah, they'd won the Olivier for it already. For Honk. For Honk right. in two thousand. Um, they beat Lion King and Mamma Mia to the Olivier in two thousand. That's mental. Um, and we did this in two thousand <clears throat> and seven. And there's a lady called Jill Fraser who. Um, used to run the water mill and she sort of commissioned them to write honk. Um, and it all started life at the watermill. Yeah. And so they were doing like a 10 year anniversary and it was all the same creative team as before. And it was a big deal. So they came in a lot and they were, and even now, you know, talking to ants, he he'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to Belgium this weekend because there's an amateur group doing Peter Pan."
0: I've noticed that about them. They're yeah. so interested in people they doing are. their work and supportive. It's amazing, is know. Really
1: they Yeah, and I think they know how much it means because they they've been there. Uh huh. To have someone like that go over, yeah, it's really really sweet. Yeah. So uh, tell tell me
0: a bit about Honk then. Was that? Was that that was your first? Thing yeah, that I you did,
1: did. I did a, a job in Australia as soon as I graduated, uh, and then I came back and over the Christmas just after I graduated, we did Honk and Ugly's.
0: The watermill for people who don't know it is a really respected, really exciting space. Yeah. Ugly's essentially the lead.
1: Yeah, um, that's a fantastic yeah, kind it of was.
0: first job. Right, yeah, isn't it really, it?
1: really was. I um, couldn't believe me luck, to be honest, um, and. I didn't appreciate it at the time. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Because you graduate and you think, "I've got this," yeah, and you get offered a great job and it's fantastic, and then you don't work, yeah. <laughs> but luckily, after Honk, I already had Mary Poppins yeah. lined up. Your second thousand show, second thousand show. Um, but I, before, um, like I said, I went to Australia with a mm-hmm. with a show just after I graduated. I'd auditioned for all of these things previous to that. So you had them lined so up. So I had them lined up. That's and I actually crazy. got a call about Mary Poppins when I was in Sydney. Um and I finished Honk and then I had a little gap of a couple of months, and then I started Mary Poppins. And but I didn't know George and Ant's then. Uh-huh. So I got honk, and then apparently Trevor Jackson, who cast Mary Poppins for Cameron, he said to George and Ants, I think you're going to like our Roberts and I, which is the character I played in Mary Poppins, because you've just cast him in Honk. Right. Amazing. So it just sort of fell into place. And so. There's so much to say about
0: the collection of information that you've just offered
1: up because, first
0: of all, that just doesn't happen mm. to a new to a new grad coming out of drama school. Uh, that does not happen. Mm. You do not book three jobs in a row, uh, especially one of them being because it was the first UK tour of Mary Poppins yeah, as it well. Was, yeah, and they were all parts. Yeah, you know, because a lot yeah. of people do start in the ensemble and they have to work their way up. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. So, yeah. first of all, well done, Mark. Oh, and secondly, I'd like to talk about Mary Poppins in a bit, but was there a time where you then had to relearn what it was to be an actor in work in terms of there are dry spells and there, there are times when you you know, you know you're not booking job after job after job? Yes. And was that a difficult process for you?
1: It wasn't difficult because I... I knew, I always knew the reality of it and yeah, I probably got a bit cocky as soon as I graduated and I think that was also partly to do with that. I went to Guildford, I went to GSA and I auditioned for musical theatre and because at home I did all the amateur stuff, you know, and I, I was always in the musicals and I loved it, but when I auditioned for drama school, I only got into Guildford and I only got onto the acting course. Right. So it really, really knocked my confidence a lot. You did the acting course? I started on the acting course. I did not know this about you. And then in the second year, I said, please, can I go on to the musical theatre course? But by then, you know, everyone had already had a year and Mm. there were phenomenal singers and people were amazing at dancing. And I was just a bit daft. Mm. Um, Quirky. But they let me. And I was never a favorite. I never got into the extra extracurricular stuff. Um and I l- did showcase, and I got such amazing interest off agents that I think people were a bit shocked. Mm. But I think I just chose a really good piece that mm. I knew showed me off. And- I don't think it's just that. I mean, you are you're very
0: talented, Mark, uh, first and foremost, but also there's your. Can I say this? I, I know. I know. You know. I'm saying this with love. But you have a quirk about you that's mm. that no one else can do. You're bringing something to the table that other people, even if they try, they can't do what you do because you're diff- you're different in in the best possible way. Mm. Um, and I think that's what I think that's what's kind of led to these roles that you get and and this career that you've had because it is. I mean, it's a really lovely career that you've had, and I've watched it. You know. As a friend since Mary Poppins, you
1: know. But going back to, you know, the times of work, times uh, of being out of work. Yeah. Um, After Mary Poppins, I did Hello Dolly at Regent's Park. And then I didn't work. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And I didn't work for about two years Mm. apart from Panto. I remember that. And a few workshops. And having just graduated and got four jobs and really good ones, and Mm. then don't work for Mm. two years. I was really, um, I was, I was a bit like, oh, okay. But also I don't mind working in a bar. I really don't mind mm-hmm. working in a bar because at the end of the day I have to pay the rent. Mm.
0: But you did go through, cause I remember you did go through a little stage where you weren't happy about it. I, I, I seem mm-hmm. to remember us having some conversations where you were kind of saying, I that I'm finding this really, really difficult. How yeah. do you keep positive, interested, and how do you keep going
1: to those auditions when you're not booking the work? Mm. It's it's really, really hard because what people don't realise is that auditioning is a full time job. Correct. When you're um, not enacting work, mm. um, and it's the hardest bit, and you're not getting paid for it, mm-hmm. so you have to you have to work at night time um, so that you're free in the day. Mm -hmm. to to do auditions and you're prepping material for weeks and then you get in the room and they don't even hear it Mm. um and it's really disheartening Mm. um my old agent said something great to me one time um and i got offered this role at the i think the tabard theater over christmas one year and he said you don't have to audition but this director wants you to do this he saw you in this and he worked with you on this and I said, that's amazing. And it was very little money. And I said, yeah, but I you know, I'm gonna earn more doing this reception job I'm doing at the minute. And my agent said, Yes, Mark, but you are an actor, you are not a receptionist. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that is literally one of the best things I've ever heard. Mm. Because we worked so hard to train for three years mm-hmm. to be actors. Mm. And just that I sort of got carried away with. This is hard to to put into words, but I for I lost the love a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: Which I think is I don't think you're on your own. I think a lot of people do go through that stage. Yeah, I think a lot of people because the reality of. Um, of being an actor is quite different, I think, from the fantasy of being an actor. Mm. Um, and I, and I say, I teach a lot, as you know, and I say to students all the time, being an actor, the job of being an actor is probably 35% of it is what you do on stage. Yep. But the other huge chunk of your kind of career is that being out of work, going to auditions, preparing mm-hmm. material, networking, making sure you're keeping uh, yourself fit and healthy and yeah. ready. Um, and it is when the reality of that sinks in there is a bit of a a process that you have to go through and go oh okay this is what it's going to be like
1: yeah And but you know I try and see as much theatre as possible and I just keep inspired that way I think mm. because I do see a lot of
0: theatre you're much better than I am
1: but I love what I do mm-hmm. I really really love it and I love seeing other people loving what they're doing mm-hmm. and I love watching people make incredible stuff and I dream of making that myself, Mm. you know, one day and I'd love to earn money from writing one day. Mm. Um, and I think that's how I keep, keep going when Mm. I'm out of work.
0: Yeah. You've almost kind of proven to yourself or, or, quietened that voice in your head that says I'm not good enough because now you've done these amazing shows, you know, you've done, as you said, hello, Dolly at Regents Park. You've done Mary Poppins. You were in Book of Mormon in the West End for two years. Um, there must be something in your head that's going, okay, I know I'm good enough, so it's not that. It's just that the right job hasn't come along. So you're, it's more relaxed I now. I think
1: that comes with age as well yeah. and experience. Mm-hmm. And where, whereas six years ago, I I wouldn't get a recall and I'd think, my God, what have I done? I now come out and think, cool, the guy next to me had brown hair. Yeah. Um, it was just, yeah, circumstantial, just yeah. something, yeah. Or even... I will wake up on the day and think, oh, my voice isn't quite there today. I'm just going to go in and do the best that I can do today.
0: Yeah. Is there... Do you ever get worried about that? Um, uh, Singing on an off day in front of these people? Do you ever get... Do you ever get worried? Because I guess if you were in a show, you'd just cancel you wouldn't go into work that night. Although mm. sometimes, as as you know, more than anyone, that isn't that easy. But um, do you ever get worried about going in auditions and letting casting directors, directors, musical directors see you on an off day? Is that a concern for an actor?
1: Um Yeah, it is, of course it is, because you know, sometimes you know you can do much better than but there's so many factors, mm. and this is what I mean that you learn from experience. It's, it's nerves. It's mm-hmm. even what the weather's doing that day. Do uh-huh. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's whether you nearly got run down uh, on the way there with a the mm-hmm. coffee in your hand and mm-hmm. your, your music in the other hand. It's, it's all of those things. Yeah. And I know the minute one foot goes into that room, how the audition is going to go. Really? Yeah. Wow. I always say that because you can tell there's a vibe in the room. Uh-huh.
0: So sometimes energy. it's not
1: your fault. Mm hmm. Sometimes that panel are just not having it.
0: And is that easier to let go now as well with age?
1: Yeah. I imagine
0: that it would be. I imagine, I I can't imagine going back into acting, but if I did, I imagine that I'd have come to that realisation by Mm. now that actually, do you know what, Kirk, it's not about you.
1: It's really not. Mm. And they've they've just seen the the part that you're up for and they've seen someone good enough and they're going to cast him. Yeah. And now they're just, they have to see you because you're already on Uh the call sheet. Mm.
0: So I just want to kind of come full circle, I guess, uh, to the the last couple of years um, of uh, the jobs that you've been doing. And um, something that I... Really, really loved seeing you in, and uh, I know was a really big part of your life for kind of a year. Uh, was uh, Toxic Avenger, uh, which you played the title role uh, when it opened at Southwark, and then a few months later it went to Edinburgh, and then eventually wound up at the Arts Theatre in the West End. Um, talk to me a little bit about that experience because I. You know, as you know, because I came to see it, I thought that that original production in Southwark, I didn't see it in Edinburgh, but that production was just one of the best things i have probably seen in that space. And the thing I loved about it was that there was only five of you in the show, but you were all singing from the same hymn sheet. You knew exactly what the tone is. And as a creative and as an artistic person, there was such joy in that, that you were all... You knew exactly what the tone was. I loved watching that. Mm-hmm.
1: The thing with it is, like you said, everyone in that room was on the same page. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that the director, Benji, was great. And he also cast it very well um, with people that also he knew would get on with each other. Mm-hmm um and just we all wanted that show to work Mm -hmm. and it it, i i don't want to sound weird but it was magic it was like magic in the room Mm -hmm.
0: no it, it felt like it from the audience's point of view um as i say there's just there's just it's such a rare thing when you can you just know that Everyone's working together. It was it
1: was like cogs. Yeah, you're all kind of turning at the same pace. And it's that great thing with a new show. Even it had been done in America, but um, we have different, you know, sensibilities here. Mm. We didn't know how it was going to go. Mm. Really, didn't know how it was going to go because it was pastiche it, yeah. it was sort of the same vein as Mormon. Yeah. Well, it was just as as I've said, and I'll say
0: it again because I don't I don't care. It was one of the best nights of theatre I've seen at Southwark. Um, It's
1: one of my favourite jobs.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. So when it came up again to go to uh, the Fringe Festival, it was a few months later, um, you obviously said yes and you went back. Yeah. But that was a bit of a different experience for you, wasn't it? Because doing it in terms of... uh, eight shows a week a normal show schedule is one thing but uh, the fringe is a different cup of tea isn't it in terms of it's quite
1: um the fringe is really hard intense yeah and i'd always wanted to go um and i'd always wanted to perform there so for me it was a no-brainer that i wanted to do it um but firstly i was the only one that stayed out of the cast from solid playhouse uh-huh. um so we had four uh, brand new, incredible people come in. Um, and it was so nice to, to do the show from a different uh, point of view. And I say that I'm lucky because the first cast in Southwark, I took everything that they gave me from there. And then when this new cast came in, I already had all of that wealth mm-hmm. and I still took from them, yeah, 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 the yeah. new people. So I was really fortunate. Um, and we went to Edinburgh and it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. The schedule. The schedule. Yeah. It was, we started at 10 o'clock at night. Wow. And it, this is, uh, you know, they, they condensed it obviously because it's the fringe festival, but toxic measure wasn't that long anyway. So I think they took about half an hour off mm-hmm. it and we did it all in one act, mm-hmm. um, about an hour and 20 minutes. And s- as is, you know, custom with the, the festival, the show before you has to get out of the theatre mm-hmm. and you have 15 minutes to get all your set in mm-hmm. and, you know, get into your costumes and do a warm-up and um, and everything else. And it just really didn't agree with me.
0: And so as a result, <laughs> it started to take its toll on you a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, and there were some problems with costuming and, um, like I said, we were heavily compromised by the set and how that affected us because we didn't have time to get everything in and et cetera, et cetera, and it was... It was massively stressful and there was a lot of PR and, um, I ended up getting really sick, mm. like very, very sick. And I ended up having to take the last two shows off. Mm. It got to the point where I couldn't sing.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because in a, in a normal environment for an actor, that would be kind of, that's fine. Takes take. take- Time off, yeah. you know that would. The thing we always kind of say mm. to each other as a community is, you're not a machine. Yeah. If you're ill, you're ill. Go yeah. home, get get ready. Uh, you know, get better. And um, and your understudy will go on. But of yep. course, in Ed, in Edinburgh in the Fringe Festival, that's not a thing. And yeah. so it's it's difficult, isn't it? do You feel that pressure about going off.
1: Yeah, of course. And you know, we had understudies that we rehearsed with, but they weren't going to join us until we transferred to the West End. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did know that somewhere in London that there was a guy who knew it (laughs) and we could get him up, but you just don't want to do that. And I had two days left, but Mm. like I said, I got to the point where I was singing and I saw people in the, the, saw people in the audience talking about it, talking about, Oh, his voice isn't, Mm. you know, his voice sounds a bit Mm. tired or whatever. And I was really embarrassed. And I had to say, enough is enough and Mm. it's easy what you know if you're if you work in an office or if you're you know a policeman (laughs) or whatever you and you lose your voice you're fine you can still probably go to work Mm -hmm. but when your voice is the job the job yeah you you know you get the slightest tickle and you think i have to go off Uh uh-huh because if I stay on and persist, mm. it's just going to get worse, and I'm going to need more time off.
0: Well, it's the same as a footballer. You know, if they have a uh, they pulled a muscle, exactly. they need time off mm. to recover, mm. and then they can go back and play at their best. And it's the same for singers. And I think something I've always found really interesting is because it's art, and because it's seen as quite a you're, you're very lucky to be in this job, and it's not real work. People um, don't think of it in the same way. They they don't give it give um, sickness or illness or voice problems the same weight as perhaps
1: you would do if this person was a th- footballer or an athlete. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing. It is. And I saw an ENT doctor uh, when I got back and he said something really good to me, picking up on that analogy you've just used. He said, if a footballer broke his ankle, he would be off mm-hmm. for months. Mm-hmm and he would need to rehabilitate it mm-hmm. during that time and he wouldn't get on the field again for for months mm. Mm. but with a singer you're uh, because people don't think it's real mm. um they don't think of it as an injury mhm yeah, yeah yeah they well, and also they
0: expect you to get back on the next day and also very often if even if you've got voice problems you can still speak Mm. and your voice kind of sounds okay yeah um but the difference between singing and speaking is quite big yeah Uh, well um, my my
1: speech therapist encouraged me to talk normally mm -hmm. but just not sing Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's a different thing it's like
0: it's like lifting a a kind of coke or lifting a weight in the Mm -hmm. gym it's two completely different things and one's fine and one's not yeah um, yeah, but I know that was a really difficult time for you and it must have been so frustrating not to finish Edinburgh. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the show came to London mm-hmm. as well. Um, and do you feel, kind of knowing the trajectory of what then happened, do you feel like there was a set of events which started in Edinburgh that then kind of led
1: to a, a natural conclusion in London? Yeah, I mean, all definitely it never cleared up from Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. It never cleared up um, and coming into London. I know. And and I, like you, like I said before, I loved this job. Mm -hmm. It was my big break. Almost. I was playing a leading man in the West end, um, singing songs, which I loved. And, um, I I loved the show. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the type of theater. I Mm -hmm. love performing in, Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved the company and I just loved going to work. Really Mm did. Um, but it got really serious. Mm -hmm. That must've been scary. Yeah, it it is. And for a singer, I'll I'll say I I got nodules. I got soft nodules. Wow. Um, because I, I, like I said, I think it stemmed from Edinburgh and the, when we got to London, it was like straight back into it. And Mm -hmm. I never got that time to recover. Mm. Um, So, and as much as I was willing to do the show, I would do two shows and have to have Mm. time off. That's so,
0: that's so frustrating. And that's so, that must've been so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I've, I'm good friends with a lot of singers and I've worked uh, with singers with really bad vocal problems and... Mm. I know how heartbreaking that is and that must have been really, really difficult. I
1: mean, I cried my eyes out when yeah. they told me I had soft
0: nodules. Mm, I can imagine. Yeah. Because it's the equivalent of a, a concert pianist uh, breaking their finger. Yeah. You know, or it's 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 completely
1: career-threatening. Yeah, and luckily mine was totally reversible, but I just needed time off. Mm-hmm. And that's when I had to make the decision to mm-hmm. to leave the show. To leave the show in London.
0: Mm. Yeah. And that... that you know, having created the part all those months back in Southwark and then going to Edinburgh with it and coming back home yeah. with it to London in the West End, that must have been really difficult to walk away from.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. I I really didn't want to leave that job. Mm-hmm. I had no gain from leaving that job. And I really wanted to, I really wanted people to see me in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Because like I said, it was my, it was, could have been my big break. mm mm-hmm. That's stupid, isn't it? Um,
0: No, I don't think it is stupid. Um, I think uh, I think you did the right thing. Uh, You know, I we spoke uh, during the time, and we we met for a silent coffee. Mm. I seem to remember you were you weren't speaking at the time, Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to one of those things, doesn't it? And as I said, I repeat this because I mean it. I have friends who have had really bad vocal issues and they' actually had to walk away from the business as a result and this and that's
1: why it didn't want to happen to me
0: correct this industry is a marathon not a race mm-hmm. and you've got to play the long game and sometimes that means making really tough decisions uh, and I think that's one of them that, that that you know that you've had to make um but you took some time out you recovered your voice is back yeah, strong uh, healthy yeah. and you're back in Back in London, back back on the stage, so yeah. that's it's kind of had the the desired outcome. Really, it, it it ended up being the right thing for you, I think.
1: Yeah, it totally did. It's t- tough at the time. Luckily, I was surrounded by supportive people, um, especially at the Grinning Man, which I did pretty much straight away afterwards. Mm. Who you know were so supportive and so understanding said that you know said that I wasn't allowed to sing even in rehearsals mm. um because people understand mm-hmm. but at the same time they still wanted me to do it mm. um so they helped me, and they made mm. it work. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Well, it looks like a very supportive group of people from what I saw last mm. night. You know, you kind of look really, really again, a little bit like Tox Avenger, a group of people working really, really well together, yeah, and it's a fantastic show. If anyone can get down to see it, it's so worth seeing it now uh Mark, if people want to uh follow you on social media, where can they find
1: you? <laughs> they can find me on Twitter, okay at marky e. w. Anderson uh-huh. And um, do you um, allow people into your Facebook fold?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for Fred Tony. I'm on Instagram.
1: Are you? Same
0: handle. Really? Um, yeah. I struggle with Instagram. It's not for me. Really? Do you take pictures of your vegan lunch and post them? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might.
1: No, I don't actually, but if I bake, then I will do that. That's fair. That's all
0: right, isn't it? That's fair. Well, Mark, thanks so much for talking to us today and uh, have a great time in the rest of the run of The Grinning Mum. Thanks. Bye. Pleasure.